It's our monthly Q&A show where we're responding to questions from the Coaching for Leaders community. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 221. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your leadership skills. And speaking of the best thinkers out there, one of my favorite best thinkers in my life, Bonnie Stahoviak. Hello. Hello. You've set the expectations rather high for someone listening for the first time. Dale Carnegie said, give people a fine reputation to live up to. So there you go. I was actually talking with our friend Tom Henschel from the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast, who I got to see this week. And he was telling me that uh, he was he emailed me and said how smart you were and how impressed he was with all of your answers on the Q&A shows. Hmm. Well, thank you, Tom. He didn't say anything about me, so... <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm just messing with Tom because we. Uh, I'm so glad to have gotten to know him, and it's been tons and tons of fun. And I, this is one of my favorite uh, episodes of the month: is to put together and to respond to questions from the community. And we have a bunch of them this month, as always. And uh, as always, if you're listening and thinking about a question you have, or maybe a follow up to something we talk about, I hope you'll. Go online and submit your question as well. Coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is the best way to do that. And the first question today comes from Steve, and it's an audio question. Here we are. Hey, Dave and fellow listeners. Uh, my name is Steve, and uh, I'm talking from beautiful Washington State. I just wanted to say that the show is awesome, and the advice from you and your guests is very helpful. And I definitely appreciate the time you take putting everything together. From all the website reading, of course, leadership guides and guest insights, it's a real treasure trove, but uh, down to business. So I'm currently working towards a project management management degree, and if I were to describe myself, I would uh, definitely describe myself as an introvert. Uh, it has been uh, definitely exciting to listen to you and Beth uh, talk about the issues that are faced uh, by introverts in so many different situations. So I was wondering what advice you might have for those of us uh, who are introverts and are specifically in a project management career or project management career role. Uh, sometimes we definitely have to face difficult situations, uh, such as informing you know a supervisor or a stakeholder about uh, information or with information, uh, requests or issues or changes that can be quite controversial. So that's my question, Dave. Uh, thanks uh, for any advice you have. Well, Steve, first of all, thank you for the kind words on the front end of your question here. I so appreciate it and uh, glad you're listening to the show. In regards to your question, in so uh, let me first of all say that I consider myself to have a preference more for introversion. And if I had to pick one term for the work that I do in my role with Dale Carnegie, it'd probably be project management. So I can relate to what you're saying in respect to how do we how do you approach that situation? What I'm interested in with the with your question is there's it sounds like maybe there's an assumption there that if you're if you have a preference for introversion that it may be more difficult to handle some of those difficult situations that come up and as any project manager knows you need to interact with a lot of people in a lot of different kinds of situations and you tend to be 
the kind of person that needs to facilitate or intervene or sometimes give difficult feedback. I, I have not come across it, not only in my own personal experience, in the experience with my clients, but also in the research of introversion and extroversion, any correlation with how well someone handles conflict or difficult situation and their preference as far as introversion and extroversion. Because there's not a correlation with introversion and extroversion and how well you deal with people as far as how well you handle difficult situations. Um, I'm not aware of any research that shows that. And on, on the contrary, there are many people out there who have a preference for introversion and are very gifted and very talented in working through difficult situations who are exceptional communicators. And I've also met many people have a preference for extroversion that struggle with that. So extroversion and introversion is, tends to be more, and I think, I think Beth and I may have talked about this a little bit, is the, the preference is really where you tend to get your energy from. Do you get your energy from the external environment and people around you, or do you tend to look inward to get energy and to get rejuvenated? And so I think that regardless of your personality preference, that there, that's a skill set that's very learnable. And I'll certainly search the archives for some of the specific episodes. I think it'd be helpful around that. But on a broad lens, I don't think there's, for me at least, there's not a correlation as far as that being a challenge anymore for an introvert or an extrovert. Bonnie, what's been your experience on that or what are you thinking? Steve, when I heard your question, one of the first things that I thought of was the oftentimes someone with a preference for introversion needing to think about things for a while. Oftentimes people won't be the first ones to step in with their gut reaction right out of the gate when something controversial is coming up, but instead wanting to reflect more quietly on that. And one of the recent, it was either a blog or an email that I read recently was just talking about the importance of asserting the need sometimes to think about something. And you can do that, whether it's over email, if people are starting to go a little out of control, or potentially there might be an explosive situation over email is to give yourself permission to, instead of reply all with, you have to have some great thing that you're going to say about this particular issue, but instead I'd like to think about this for a little while and then make sure that you get back to everyone within whatever time frame you've committed to circle back with them. I think that's an important thing to give ourselves permission to do that. And then also in a meeting scenario, you might want to say, gosh, that's this seems like something's really important to you. Let me go put some thoughts together and come back and, and, and let you know what I find out. I think that's good for all of us, whether or not we have a preference for extroversion or introversion. But certainly, I Dave and I both got certified in the Myers-Briggs type indicator, which is one of the assessments that measures for a preference for introversion versus extroversion. So I can say being married to someone and also Dave and I do quite a bit of work together. I do note that about him and I can find myself getting impatient on my not so nice days where I think, gosh, darn it. Could you just say, you know, could you respond in you the moment impatient with me? <laughs> and then to recognize that really is a nice quality because oftentimes I have found that Dave doesn't say things that he later on regrets. He's not an explosive person in the moment to say things that he, that he doesn't mean. And I mean, certainly any of us are capable of doing that on, on one occasion or another, but it's not certainly a pattern that he has. So I always tend to remind myself of the value that can happen with a more reflective person who takes a, a moment or two to think about things before they respond. Well, thanks for saying that. And I, I've found that 
to be more of an asset in project management actually than a liability in so sure. many cases. I mean, there's mm-hmm. certainly things that I think, regardless of your personality preference, there are things that are going to come more naturally and things you're going to struggle with in a project management role. That's some overall, I found having more of an introverted nature has actually served me well as a project manager. So I would look to it, uh, Steve, from your strengths of what do you bring? What do you even maybe bring that others in your organization may not? I mean, that's been one of the things that's been helpful for me at Carnegie in my career is there's, uh, I, I tend to be a little different than some of the other folks in our organization. So I'm able to bring a perspective that other people don't bring and do it a little different way. Um, so that's something I'd, I'd certainly look at as an opportunity for you of how do you bring that unique talent and strength into the project management role and to know that you can be absolutely as good, if not better, of handling difficult situations with a preference for introversion as you can for extroversion. So uh, so thanks for the question. We'll leave it there. Steve, I just wanted to say thanks for your question. And Dave, I know next up we have a question from Michelle. Michelle wrote in and said, and I'm abridging this a little bit, Bonnie, um, but she said, I'm rather annoyed with myself this week as I was very harsh to my team member. I've apologized and she accepted my apology. However, I'm not happy that it occurred and I need to deal with the cause. I think the cause is to do with the fact that she is older than me and is a different personality type. I find it difficult to believe that she does not respect me. And so my harsh communication style was a result of that suspicion. It's such a shame because we reached an even closer level of communication this week too. Uh, We both wanted to work with each other, and after my apology, she reconfirmed that the reason she wanted to do this job was to work with me. I think I need to go back to basics with her again and find out again what she needs from me. I also listened again to episode 59, which, by the way, is the episode on how to lead people who are older than you. Uh, But my problem is almost the opposite of the issues raised. I have another new team member starting soon. If you have any advice or could recommend another podcast episode, I'd be grateful. Bonnie, I'm going to let you start with this one and I'll throw in a few ideas as well. Well, I have a quick question for you, Dave. I think you might have misread the last sentence in the first paragraph. You you read it as, I find it difficult to believe that she does not respect me, but I'm reading, you find it difficult that she does respect me as in this person may not respect Michelle. Correct. So I wanted to make sure that I got that right. Thank you. Michelle, a couple of things came to mind. One is I was reminded as I listened to your message through Dave's (laughs) voice, (laughs) I was reminded of Stephen Covey talked a lot about the importance of building what he called an emotional bank account. And when we're building trust with people, those those are those little deposits where we make where we affirm someone else, or we really engage in deep listening, or when we thank someone with deep gratitude for something that they have done. And this idea that those positive deposits into the emotional bank account add up over time. And that doesn't excuse when we make a blunder like that, but it just makes those blunders land a little softer. I was actually thinking about Dave and I yesterday, something happened. I don't even remember what it was. And even if I did, it may not be sharing it here on the podcast, but something happened where we started to get a little bit irritated with one another, frustrated about something small, something to do with the kids. And, and then Dave just kind of turned it and flipped it on its head and made a joke about something. Cause it was really just coming out of a, we're both exhausted. Dave just came back from a trip with the kids to Chicago to visit his family for five days. And I mean, when you go 
traveling with two small children and the time zone changes. Certainly he's tired. And I wish I had a good excuse for why I'm tired because I think I took a nap every single day that he was gone. At any rate, I love that about Dave, just that we don't, we don't have to have a fight about this. It was probably a back and forth of about, I said something, he said something, I said something, he, and then he flipped it. It was that quick of just, we can choose whether or not this is going to go into a spiral that goes downhill, or we can choose to say, is this really how we want to spend our evening together? Because I don't know about you. And it's not, not like we actually had that conversation between the two of us. This is actually the first time that we're talking about it. But I was just reminded of how much I appreciate the fact that both Dave and I have a lot of emotional bank account deposits stored up there. And that we also both have a lot of self-awareness about recognizing that a lot of the things that happen to us in life are because of our own choices. And we can choose to just have a rotten night or choose to just decide we're not going to go down that, that path of working more toward being right than working more toward having healthy, positive relationships. That was one thing I thought of as I read is, are you actively making appropriate. You don't want to make ones that are lacking in authenticity. So I don't know what your relationship is like from that standpoint. But if it's appropriate to be having those exchanges and making those deposits, I think that will help you in your relationship. Can I add one quick thing in mm -hmm. there? I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to affirm something you were saying. I, I think there is an expectation, and I'm not sure this is true for Michelle necessarily, but just for many of us in going into relationships, whether it be an employer-employee or a marriage, as you were talking about, that uh, things are mostly going to be good most of the time. And I remember your was it your mom that said uh, about marriage, like if you're if you're at seventy or eighty percent happiness, mm -hmm. that's that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I I think that that's a really like I don't know what the number is, but I think just just the mindset of yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be a section of every real genuine meaningful relationship that people are going to mess up and and screw up and and that's normal and in fact i mean we've talked about the five dysfunctions of a team book on this show before one of the things they talk about in that book is that healthy conflict real healthy conflict is a positive thing I and mean, yes you don't want that to be the entire relationship but if you're having a meaningful relationship with someone there should be conflict that happens on occasion and so anyway for whatever that's worth i just want to affirm what you were saying because i think that that's that's important to recognize the other thing that I thought of is this is this is one of those instances, Michelle, where I am doing I'm letting my intuition go a bit. I mean, I, I guess you and Dave had a little bit more of an exchange. I'm reading three paragraphs here. I don't have a lot to go off of. But my gut tells me that there's a little bit of defensiveness in here. A couple of the phrases when you're talking about how much someone else respects you, I find it difficult to believe that she does respect me. And then you talk about her being older than you and a different personality type. I just sense a little bit of defensiveness there. And that's something to really watch for in this relationship. How much somebody else does or doesn't respect me needs to be put, in, in my opinion, on the back burner as to how much I am engaging as a leader to my own expectations. I don't want to be using other people's measuring sticks oftentimes for whether or not I deserve to be respected or that kind of things. I, that's, that tends to get into more of an orientation towards one one's own ego and one's own sense of pride. And I don't know about you, but when I make decisions, and I have, when I make decisions or start engaging 
in terms of pride and my own ego, it does not turn out well. But when I can flip my own thinking around and be engaging towards some broader purpose, this isn't about me, it's not about you, it's about this work that we're doing because it's going to help us achieve this, and this has significance in this world. And if you're working in a place where you can't say that about anything that you do, if you don't have that sense of significance, then it really has nothing to do with that person, and there's really, I think, going to be very little you'll be able to do to rectify that because... Our relationships, to me, they're built on having meaning and significance in this world. I don't have really any friendships that I can speak of that are just for fun. They're all relationships that are built about meaning and significance in this world and in lots of different ways. But but anyway, those are a couple of things that I thought of. This is tough, Michelle. In addition to me thinking that you might potentially, I could be wrong, <laughs> you might potentially be more on the defensive than is probably healthy to you in the situation. I also have a sense that this is hard for you. And I really want you to know it. Oh, gosh, we have all been there. And I commend you for taking this courageous step to reflect and think about what you might be able to do differently. I didn't hear you say anything or write anything about what she could do differently. So I, I, I sense that you have that knowledge that we really can't control other people. And so I want to commend you for that. Well, at the same time, I'm challenging you to say, hmm, can we work a little bit on maybe that defensiveness route if it's in fact there? Yeah. And I, I was also just really impressed that not only that you apologized already, but even after the conversation, she reaffirmed that she you were one of the reasons she wanted to work with you. I mean, or have this position. I think that's really cool. I mean, good for you for 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 doing that and taking taking the onus to apologize. And I think the fact that she responded that way in me almost shows a certain level of respect that I don't think you typically see in every relationship. I did just think of one episode, by the way, Dave, that may help her, and that is the one where we talked about how to apologize. And the mm-hmm. three steps to apologies, that might be a good one for her to listen to. I don't uh, know if that great. was an entire episode or it w- on a Q&A. Uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it was. So we'll put that in there too. And it, it was interesting what you mentioned about uh, defensiveness, Bonnie. I, I don't know if you even could see it from from where you're sitting, but I highlighted on the screen the sentence where uh, sh- she had written, I, I find it difficult to believe that she does not respect me. And I, I guess the, the hope I'd have for you, Michelle, is to affirm what Bonnie said and of like you articulate money of putting that respect on maybe the back burner and on the front burner of putting, how can I serve this person? How can I serve Mm -hmm. this person as a leader to um, affirm them to yes, challenge them when I need to challenge them, but also to be there of someone that I can provide the resources, the tools, the inspiration, the vision. And, and I think if you have that as your guiding light as a leader, then the respect thing kind of takes care of itself and it won't with everyone. There's people who, you know, are always not going to respect you, but but you stay true to who you are. And I think if you can, I think if you can focus there, that'd be huge. Um, if you're looking for another resource, so we'll put the link for the apologies in the episode here. Another good resource, I think, is just really inspirational around this way, is a book. I've mentioned it in a leadership guide before, I believe. It is called Leadership and Self Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Mm-hmm. It is, I don't know why this book is not more popular. It is one of the best books I've ever read on leadership. And it really gets you thinking of how to 
serve first and really to take that mindset. It's a really masterfully written book, and I strongly recommend it for anyone who's looking for that level of inspiration. So definitely check that out. I hope that hope that helps a ton, Michelle. Next up, we have a question from Holly. Holly writes, I am full of energy, eager to share and learn. Today, I was told by someone I went to for advice that they think here I can't teach people, that I'm presenting myself as if I know everything. My question is, how do I deal with situations when you think you're doing things the right way because that's your experience and everything you have learned and it was working? It is what is being discussed in your podcast, but it's not now working. Well, Holly, thanks so much for this question. And uh, Moni, uh, I cut this question out. This was a much broader question. It wasn't specifically for the Q&A show, so I abridged it a whole bunch. Um, but one of the things that isn't mentioned here is Holly was changing industries. And so this is a new a new environment that she's working in. And uh, Holly, this is such a tough situation when something has worked for a while. Uh, maybe even there's other places or things you've heard on this show that have worked or worked for others. And then all of a sudden you're running into a situation where it doesn't seem to be working. So here's a few things that I'd suggest um, looking at is there's, there is certainly a difference between knowledge and application. So what we know and then how we apply it and the way we apply it is sometimes not always congruent. I don't know if that's the case for you because I haven't worked with you and I don't know the details of the situation um, beyond what you sent to me, and I'll, I'll get back to you in your email soon here. Too. But I think that there's an opportunity here to collect some data for yourself on what is it that you know and how much there are you applying. And so one of the suggestions I'd have is how can you get more data points? And you mentioned in your question specifically that you got feedback from one person on the teaching aspect of it. Now, it could be that that one person has absolutely nailed a major issue. It also could be that it's just their opinion and that's not true of you at all. So I think one of the things that if, just to use that as an example, the teaching piece, since you, uh, since you brought that up is, uh, is that true? And how much of that is important for your job? Is it relevant for the work you're doing? And if it is, I think it'd be interesting to get some feedback from other people and to maybe even go and observe some other people who are doing teaching type activities in your organization and start to verify or not if that feedback is helpful, actionable, if it's accurate. Um, because I think that there's a tendency a lot of times for us to hear something from one person and to um, kind of fixate on that and then to say, okay, well, that must be a real issue that I'm having. And it could be that that person doesn't know any better than we do. So again, I don't know the situation, but I think to the extent that you can get some more data points and validate, that'd be helpful. Part of that may be broadening your network within your organization and industry. And since this is a different organization industry, it takes time to figure out what works, what doesn't, what goes in one organization, maybe different than what happens somewhere else. So I think one of the things that you can do is identify who are the people in the in the organization and the industry who are the people who seem to be doing things really well, whose careers are advancing, who are mentioned a lot as movers and shakers in the company and in the industry. And you can always go and, and make some connections and say, hey, you know, here's something great I've heard about you. Can I take you to coffee for 20 minutes and just ask you more about what you've done in this particular situation? Or I heard about what you did with this project, or I heard about what you did with this customer. I'd really like to know more. And that gives you an opportunity to open up the conversation, to broaden your network, and to get feedback 
from other people. And I think that when you start talking with those people, you can start asking for examples of who do you know in this organization who's a great teacher? Who do you know that's doing a good job with this? And you start to get an idea of what people like and resonate with in that organization and industry. And then you can start collecting data and reading books and like you're doing listening to this podcast. The more data you have, the more you can make a better decision as an individual about, is this helpful? Is this valuable? Or is this something I just set aside? And the other thing I'd add too, and I know I mentioned this often on the Q&A shows, but the episode that we did with Sheila Heen, episode 143, which I'll put a link in the show notes, is all about how to accept feedback from others. And she walked through in that episode, a six-step process of what you can do when you get feedback of how to determine if it's actionable or not, and how you internalize it, what you do with it. Um, I, I'd really recommend that as a starting point for your model of starting to think through that as well of, are you doing the right things and it's just going to take time or are there shifts that you want to make in regards to how you're approaching situations? So I feel like I just talked a whole lot there. Hopefully that made sense. Bonnie, anything you want to add in there? I was glad that Dave clarified that this is a new industry and a new organization for you. And I want to read your first sentence again. I am full of energy, eager to share and learn. And whenever we are new in an organization, we take that share piece and it goes away and you become full of energy and eager to learn. And that sharing piece, unfortunately, becomes really prickly when we are new in an organization because we don't yet have a context. We may have a context for that industry. We may be the biggest expert out there that that is in whatever our technical expertise is, but we don't know that context yet. And we have to just bite our tongue, sit on every ounce of desire that we have to be giving ideas, sharing suggestions until such point as we begin to have earned the respect and people begin to ask us questions about our advice and ask for experience. I don't negate anything that Dave said, by the way, I think finding out if this is just one person, perhaps I'm, I'm really intrigued by the subject of triggers. Sometimes we can have said something that's just a trigger for another person. And if that person's not self-aware to realize, gosh, that one phrase, why is it hitting me so much? If they, if they don't have the self-awareness to realize that there was just kind of a bad first impression sort of thing, we have to kind of wade that out with them until they perhaps change their minds or maybe never do and then learn kind of where they fit in terms of our importance of getting our roles taken care of. So I would just watch out for that when you are new in an organization. The book I recommend all the time on this one is The First 90 Days. It's a great set of tools and pieces of advice for where our focus should be when we are new in an organization. Next up, we have a question from Tim. Can I throw in one more there on that last oh, question? Sure. Actually, one of my favorite concepts that came up on the show uh, last year was episode 149 when I interviewed Chris Hatfield. He's uh, He was the former commander of the International Space Station and has been an ast astronaut on a couple of missions uh, with NASA. And one of the things he talked about in that it, it, the career of an astronaut is such that you end up in a lot of different roles as you move toward becoming, you know, getting into sp space flight. So you take on the role as, uh, you know, communications in the mission. You take on the role of, you know, trainer. There's all kinds of things you do in your career. And one of the things that the concepts he articulated was to be a zero. And what he meant by that was when you show up somewhere is not to immediately try to either add value or to criticize is just to be quiet and to listen. And that 
fits in beautifully with what Bonnie just said of um, when you're in a new organization, when you're in a new team is to step back, take that time, find out what's going on. Don't try to add value immediately. Um, even though that you have the enthusiasm and that excitement to do that when you show up somewhere is that if you take the time to listen and just to wait and find out, get the lay of the land of the organization, that that can be really helpful. Again, not sure if that's the case in your situation, but just something for us all to be conscious of when we walk into new situations. I used to work for an organization where the the tenure, as in the length of time people worked there, the average was, I don't even know what it was, but it was an incredibly long time. This was a kind of an organization, a large institution, the second largest employer where Dave and I live in Orange County. And I I worked there, I'm trying to, actually, I don't even think I worked there that long, but it would be that if someone had worked there for five years, they were still considered a new employee. I mean, that's, and you think you can fight against the ludicrousness of that statement. I mean, it's completely asinine, but it was true to them. Mm-hmm. And you could sit there and try to say, well, what do you mean I've been here five years and I'm new? What are you talking about? I have just as much right to have an idea. You could go down that route if you wanted to, or you could realize I can't change this culture. And no, that doesn't mean, by the way, you have to wait five years or (laughs) 10 years to start giving ideas, but being sensitive about what people consider to be new and, and, and how you earn that respect over time to begin to be able to assert ideas like that. Yeah, crazy. Next up, we have a question from Tim. Tim says, I work in one of the top five fields where there is a huge demand for skilled laborers, but there's also not much room for advancement. My hope is in getting an MBA, I would be better suited for a higher role. Is my way of thinking off? Why would anyone hire me as a manager if I have no experience in the sector, even with an MBA? But my hope is that armed with an MBA, that somehow someone will see that I'm trying to better myself with continued learning and give me that chance. I included this question for from Tim. Uh, what I didn't include in the uh, question here that we're reading is Tim was asking me about the MBA program that he's currently enrolled in, and the uh, they are changing the program, and he was trying to determine if he should go with the new version of the program because he could still opt into that for the remainder of the curriculum, or if he should stay to the with the old version. And um, I, I emailed back to Tim and I said, you know, I'm I'm more curious, like broadly, what are you trying to do with the MBA? Because I think at the end of the day. Um, you know, a course change here or there in a couple of year program is probably not terribly significant as far as what it does for your career. Rather, how do you leverage what you're getting out of the MBA? And so I thought it might be interesting for us to just make mention here of a moment of, you know, looking at, you know, what are the kinds of things you want to be considering when you're thinking about getting a graduate level education. And just one, one of the things I mentioned to Tim, and I think is helpful for any of us who are thinking about advancing our education, is finding out What's going on in your industry is Tim seems very, very savvy on knowing some of the statistics and what's going on. Um, I just think that's a really smart thing to do. And before you make a determination of what kind of MBA program to take or any any kind of educational degree is figuring out what do the people in your industry look for, expect, and what are the skill sets that that's going to help you to build. So for example, if you're in an industry that uh, and, and you have the opportunity or the interest in potentially pursuing an MBA, one of the things I'd want to know and go talk to some of the people who have advanced in the organization, who are in the roles that you want to be in and find out where they've gotten their education, what programs they think are reputable, or maybe not. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you talk to a few of those people and they 
maybe help are helpful with the MBA question or not. But then they start talking about something else that they've all done that's um, just as important to their career development that you may not have even considered or overlooked. And so um, I think that it's it's really key to think of the educational piece as a part of your larger strategy for your career of that being one piece. And then what what is your industry looking at? What are the leaders in your organization looking at that's going to really help you to advance? And to the best you can align with that. And if you do that, then you have an opportunity to position yourself in the best possible way for your career success. Thank you to Bonnie. The links for everything we mentioned are in the show notes. Coachingforleaders.com slash 221 is where you can get those. And I believe I've mentioned this a while ago, but I don't think I've mentioned it in a while. So uh, for those of you who hear something on the show, as far as especially a book or resource that you find a value, uh, definitely go check those out on the show notes. And if you get the leadership guides each week, you've also noticed that some of the links that we have in the show notes and in the leadership guide have a little asterisk behind them. And those links uh, go often to Amazon to purchase the books are affiliate links. What that means is that it's the same price for you if you purchase something through one of those links, but they help uh, support the Coaching for Leaders community because they pay us a little commission for recommending those resources to you. So if you do find yourself investigating some of the resources we ever mentioned on the show or you've seen the leadership guides, uh, we're certainly grateful if you uh, take a moment to go to the show notes and uh, visit the links there because that will help continue to support the show and uh, helps us to put more uh, resources into our production, which we now have wonderful Andrew who is doing all of those notes and production for us. So thanks, Andrew, for putting together all the notes too as well. And again, if you have a question you'd like us to consider for a future episode, go to coachingforleaders.com slash 221. No, that's not it. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. 221 is the episode notes for this episode, but slash feedback is where you can record a question or get your question to us. So that's the best way to do that. And if you're not already getting the weekly leadership guide I mentioned, please do take a moment to hop online and join that so that you can receive it each Wednesday. It always has an article, uh, books, information, uh, resources for me, something that week that I know will help support your ongoing leadership development between the shows. And it also always has a link back to the weekly show notes. And so that will be another way that you can get easy access to all the information that we've mentioned. And when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get immediate access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with brief summaries for me on the value of each of those books. And one of the reasons that I recommend that list, getting back to one of the questions from earlier, is the more data points that you have and the more resources you have, the more confident you become in your knowledge and in your actions and in your leadership skills. And that confidence is huge in helping you to lead well. And I think those 10 books will really be a great place to build that knowledge and confidence. And uh, also comes with an 11-page reader's guide and nine-minute video. So you can get all of that, plus, of course, the leadership guide each Wednesday. Go to Coaching for Leaders dot com slash subscribe to get access to that again coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and i look forward to talking with you again next week 
Take care, everyone.